1: This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Are you disappointed by the taste of supermarket vegetables? Growing your own veg offers you a way to enjoy better flavours, more nutrition and zero air miles. But are you finding it hard to know where to start? especially if your space is limited. Hello, I'm Miranda, and today I'm chatting to Claire Rattanon, food grower and author, about how to enjoy success with growing your own food. Claire fell in love with growing veg in her 20s while volunteering on a rooftop farm in New York. She has since returned to the UK and helped to create veg-growing schemes in even the smallest spaces. I started by asking whether growing her own food has changed her relationship with not only what she eats, but also the environment.
0: For me... Uh, you know as as somebody who came to 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 nature and and food growing quite late i think that um it's it's been a, it's been nothing short of a revelation to me to learn how to grow food and 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 it happened completely by chance when i, I sort of c- came across this farm in new york and so uh, up until that point i really hadn't thought about where our food came from you know and it just occurred to me that i was in my mid 20s and and i'd never really considered at all what it took to grow our food and and I'm such a huge food lover food is such a huge part of my uh, you know my part of my family and part of my upbringing and and it's something that I like I I, it's it's no great surprise that as a grower food is my focus you know I think it was always going to be that way for me and so um so when I when I when I found my way to, to to food growing there was there was a huge part of it that was like this revelation of this this totally essential process this this thing that we rely on at least three times a day if not more if we're lucky um that I just had no clue I had no clue how it worked you know it's not that I didn't know that vegetables grew from you know grew in certain ways and you know they they were plants I wasn't completely ignorant to that fact but the processes were completely obscured to me and so I think Speaking from a per- personal perspective, it it has completely changed the way the way I eat food, the way I perceive it, the way um, the way I purchase it, the way I interact with it, the way I feel gratitude for it. And so, I, I really believe that that in involving yourself in the process of of food growing, or at least the knowing about it, even if it's just conversing with somebody who does it, or talking to farmers, or talking to to food growers. I, I think it has the, pos- the the potential to be totally transformative, and and it completely it it, it encourages and, and and to some extent it forces you to to come up against you know the, the trickiest stuff that that is part and parcel of the decision making that we that we have to to involve ourselves into in order to make these decisions about what we eat. You know, and I think I, I I talk about this with my partner all the time. I was like, do you remember those days when you didn't know anything and you could just eat whatever you wanted? <laughs> You know, and, and and in some ways, I do feel like misty-eyed and nostalgic about those days. Where, in like, you know, when I was a kid, I used to love chicken dippers of all things. And I, it was literally yesterday in the supermarket where I was like laughing at those, like thinking, well, you know, I wouldn't choose that anymore because I know, I know how to align my value system with the things that I that I consume where where possible. You know, and um, and it's because of food growing that that I've come to that place that I even started thinking about it as this multi-layered system that we are effectively voting in every time we um we buy something and eat it and I think I can't remember who it was he said that I think it was Marion Nestle who said that uh that like to eat to, like it's, it's voting to the way that you spend your money on the food that you eat and and I think that food growing like it, it encourages you to to be to bring an awareness to 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 how we participate in our food systems and just because we aren't the ones doing the growing necessarily doesn't mean that we aren't participants in a really big and complicated system that has huge implications not just here and not just in the soil and on this in this country but like globally and and we are we are citizens citizens of this world even if it's just through the things that we consume for some people
1: not all people some people grow food for flavor some people grow food for Mm. nutrition but there are some people including yourself that are looking at that journey or Mm. did it start was that one of the reasons you started growing or did that just become apparent as you were growing
0: oh I started I started because of flavor for sure I started (laughs) growing for flavor 100% I think that um apart from being completely sort of you know knocked over by seeing this process happen in a really implausible place and really wanting to be part of it the flavor was the thing that got me next you know so I mean New York's an amazing place to eat food anyway and so I think there was a lot a a lot that changed in terms of like what I was craving and what my palate was attuning to when I was there but um being able to, to to taste and and it was taste and texture and smell it was so much It was such a sensory experience to 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 be to have access to Vegetables that just didn't didn't they weren't in the supermarket you know they were just the the variety was was so vast and incredible that um so i so for me it was definitely about taste i I came to food growing hundred percent through taste and then the the understandings of how food growing um connects to kind of wider systems um was something that's kind of evolved evolved since you know i think I think it's it is absolutely possible you're right to 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 grow and that be that be that you know and that is plenty it's enough it's such an amazing thing to to do and it in when you're doing it somewhere in, in a city it's, it's totally radical and incredible but i think for me there's there's so many interesting conversations that can can be we can come up through the act of uh, the act of food growing and what that symbolizes and what that connects you to and so i think yeah my my kind of interest in 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 how it connects to the wider food system, you know, its history, and the the implications it has with, you know, all of the other beings and on, on the planet. I think that sort of came as uh, the the more I got involved in in the act of food growing and and was interested in in the kind of politics of it. Really, you know, there's it is, it is a, a really political thing to do whether we like it or not
1: (laughs) yeah and you you mentioned because you were um in new york when you Mm -hmm. got into food growing did you notice the same difference in london with the difference between what you're eating and then when you're eating food you've grown yourself is that the same situation
0: i'd say so i think the kind of homogeneity of what's possible what's what you can buy in the supermarkets is it's it's pretty mirrored here as it is over there i think there in terms of and i and i realize that this is a very topical but their food standards are quite different and and um and what is what is sort of acceptable there or what is allowable there is very different from what is allowable in the UK and um and so actually you know when when people have asked me sort of why growing organically was is important to me I mean I think that's a bit of a mad question, really. I think if you're going to grow for yourself, to not grow organically seems like. But you know, I understand that like, I'm, the, I'm of a new generation of 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 growers who couldn't imagine using chemicals, and I know that that's very different for different generations of growers. But um, but yeah, when I was working at Brooklyn Grange, well, volunteering at Brooklyn Grange, they they didn't have certification, organic certification. Because it was such a small site it didn't make sense financially and so we when when people would come and buy buy the produce or come and volunteer we'd have to have these conversations about how we were growing it wasn't just that we had this like blanket certification that that just explained it all away we had to talk about how everything was grown without chemicals and and they were grown to certain standards but the organic certification was something that didn't make sense to actually like bother to buy basically and bother to purchase in order to certify their produce and so from a very very early stage I was already in these conversations about the implications of using chemicals in certain ways using fertilizers and using you know herbicides and etc etc and um and so from from sort of the the word go I, I understood what decision I was making by aligning myself with that's that kind of system of growing and 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 why it was important and why it still is important and and you know there's lots of different words for how we can all approach growing in this in this kind of connected and kind of systems approach but ultimately whatever term we use i think when we're growing with kind of nature as our guide and we're using that kind of nature centric approach to growing then i think you know that that that, that was what what I felt that I was called called to to learn more about and, and to do. And and to some extent because of the kind of dominant system of food production, that is radical. So those conversations would come up irrespective of wherever we were because, you know, growing strange as it sounds, growing with nature at the core of your food growing practice is counter to the to the kind of bigger structures that that feed us. And so yeah, it's it's those conversations come abundantly no matter what you do. <laughs>
1: Oh, no, absolutely. And you've done a lot of growing in big spaces and small spaces. Um, how small is a space t- when it's too small to be productive in? Or is there no such thing as a space <laughs> too small? It's <laughs> a
0: really good question. That's a tough one. Is, I think it's more about the conditions, isn't it? I think it's possible for you to be able to grow in even the smallest of spaces. Um, but if you don't have sunshine, then it's it can be very, very futile. And I think it can be quite... Um, it's quite disheartening I think I think when I do Q&A's there's almost invariably somebody who's like I've got a north-facing basement flat. what can I yeah. possibly grow and I'm like mushrooms yeah <laughs> so which is a totally great and wonderful and valid thing to grow but I think you know v- visions of like tumbling tomatoes is, is it might be a little bit out of out of the realm of possibility but um but yeah, I think I've grown in so many small and, and implausible spaces. And I think if you've got a little pocket of sunshine and it's, it's, it's absolutely possible to grow something that you can eat. I think it's, it's when it's, it's maintaining your expectations in, in a, in a realistic space, <laughs> it's the challenge, you know, and, and that's, that's why my, that's why I wrote the book, the book that I wrote, you know, the, the whole, the, the the message behind it is isn't that uh self sufficiency is possible because that's a concept i don't believe in um but that that it's a really a really beautiful and humbling act to to grow your own food no matter to no matter the tiny space you have and and containers make that accessible that makes that possible no matter what space you're working with as long as you have a bit of sunshine
1: that's a really good answer, and I think okay, let's uh, let's let's move out of this basement flat. <laughs> yeah. Where, well, I would say get some really nice grow lights, even the aquatic grow lights. Mm-hmm. I think there's a range of stuff you can try out there. But let let's um, it's let's give you a little bit. Let's give you a little bit of sunshine. So sure. let's say we've got a small courtyard with some sunshine, and you're wanting to get into growing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. What what any tips for growing in those sort of small spaces?
0: Um, there's all kinds of things that you could possibly do, even in the smallest spaces. I think it's, it's really important to, well, it's important to know your space and it's important to watch the way that the light moves in your space because sunshine is so, it's integral to to being able to cultivate edible plants, and so even if you even if you're south facing, if you have a, a building nearby, it can cast such a vast amount of shade that maybe a fruiting plant isn't the way to go, and and actually something like a leafy green or some salads that don't mind a bit of shade is actually the way to go, and so. First, 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 and foremost, I would, I would kind of survey your plot and uh, and where the way the light moves, and and that's a huge part of of growing anyway is observation, isn't it? So it's a good skill to get kind of accustomed to early, and then um and then making the most of your space. I think it's a uh, you uh, using using heights a really great um uh a great approach to maximizing your space. You know, there's there's certain um ways that you can you can grow you can grow up structures up trellises you can use uh you know scavenged stools and crates and boxes to create different levels of height and and effectively take a small container and raise up towards the sunlight and maximize the the amount of sunlight you've you've got and and then successional sewing is a really good one if you if you if you really want like quick and fast um uh, d- delicious crops that don't necessarily take up a lot of room for, like, the majority of the growing season, radishes, um, like, pea shoots, salad greens, or anything anything that's leafy that you can eat from the moment it germinates is a really good thing to kind of grow successionally because you can eat it at any age, and that's and, and effectively that's a microgreen as well, so you could grow that even if you've only got a sunny windowsill if you haven't got a courtyard. And, um, yes, I'm trying to think of other... Other ways to maximize your space. I think, yeah, oh, and hanging, hanging baskets are always good. They're not they, I mean they they're not the greatest in terms of like they are a bit high maintenance. You definitely had to baby them a little bit. For the bit. watering? Oh, the watering. It, yeah. It's such a it can be such a pain to keep on top of the watering. And I have definitely, um, in fact, one of the one of the cherry tomatoes that I grew in a hanging basket for the book, uh, almost got obliterated in a unanticipated uh heat wave and luckily it came roaring back after we'd soaked it for a few hours but you know it's yeah hanging baskets can be a little bit tricky because of the watering but if if all you have is a porch and you have a few pots that you can put on your front doorsteps and but you have space to put in a bracket then a hanging basket can be indispensable you could have a whole herb garden in there and, and they look beautiful too. So yeah, I think it's about like looking at your space with a really creative eye and wondering what you, how you can tuck in, tuck in plants in different containers and raise them up towards the sunshine.
1: I think it's really helpful. I'm going to be looking at the uh, garden centre with different eyes, <laughs> going looking at trellises, thinking, okay, so not just sweet peas that could grow up yeah. there. You know, thinking about vegetables, your hanging baskets. I think there's a lot of stuff geared towards growing more flowers in small spaces, mm-hmm. but we can use that for veg, can't we? I think Definitely. it's an interesting and, and a hanging basket idea. We've got thyme as a ground cover, you know, it's just gorgeous. around a pot. And I suppose anything like that is quite useful, isn't it? But Definitely but that's really
0: helpful yeah. you know cuz they're not
1: it's not aimed like that but it's very usable isn't it definitely absolutely
0: and it's funny you to say I, I one of my 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 regret about this book is that i didn't put more kind of climbing plants up trellises partly because i didn't have access to that kind of space when i was growing the plants for the book but like this year i've had my first year in my in my very first garden of my own and i've just loved growing cucumbers so so much it's been so fun and they just uh brilliant scramblers and I just thought actually I really could have grown a really lovely sort of I I grew the miniature white and the crystal lemons this year and they're just such lovely like compact little fruit but also just like rampant plants and they would have just gone upwards no matter what you know as long as there was sunshine they were heading towards they would have been quite happy if their sh- roots were in the shade and they were just growing towards the sun and I and I and now I wish I'd put that in the book because I think that would have been an amazing uh inclusion because that's a great way to if you if your ground is is shady but you're upwards is sunshine grow something that's going to head towards it that's I wish I'd put that in the book
1: <laughs> and do your cu- cucumbers grow okay outside yeah. rather than in a greenhouse
0: oh God. they did really good well know. outside this year and this is the first time that I've grown them for myself and not sort of had them as part of a workplace and um they were incredible I couldn't get over how great they were they they did really really well and yeah I think I mean we had quite a nice we had quite a sunny summer didn't we we had quite a yes, quite a warm summer in fact we and we didn't have much much rain so I suppose they were they were they were in a good place actually yeah yeah they did really really well I mean it's been an interesting one trying to establish a veg p- patch this year I was uh, tempted to take a year off after doing the book last year but yeah it got to spring and I just didn't know who I was without sowing some vegetable seeds <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: we know that feeling yeah so growing cucumbers in 2020 sounds like a fantastic success for you
0: did you have any disasters there's always a disaster <laughs> What was your worst? Let's think. Oh, there's quite a few. I mean, well, yeah, last last year was the year of the cucumber for me. So I I tried to focus on my triumphs, obviously. But there's, there's plenty to learn from. In fact, I can look out the window now and see my purple sprouting broccoli, which is growing at like a jaunty sort of 45 degree angle because uh, I, I left it a little bit too late to stake it in the ground and create a bit of a structure around it to stop the pigeons from stripping all the leaves. So um, it's got a little bit of a sort of C-curve and is pointing towards the kind of... Yeah, and it's a very strange angle. I mean, I'm I'm hopeful that there will be purple, beautiful florets at some point, but I'm not entirely sure... But, um yeah, there's been plenty every year I fail at something, especially i I think my failures always happen when I think I know what I'm doing and i've <laughs> and I've always had quite good luck with winter lettuces because i I spent most most years i grow, grew with them for for growing communities, and this year, I just got obliterated by slugs, completely just decimated, <laughs> so there's almost nothing growing out there that that wasn't already established by kind of late summer um. What else? And you so don't want things. necessarily
1: to use slug pellets, do you? No. growing sort of chemical-free. Have you got any tips or any ideas what you might try next year to avoid slug
0: damage? Well, I had... Oh, there's, oh, so my veg patch backs onto a, a field, so the slugs are rampaging. Okay. In fact, I'm pretty sure I can hear them right now eating something i don't want them to be it is really tough and um and to some extent i come i've come to terms with the fact that they will have some of my harvest that's just how it works um i also i i put beer traps out and they worked pretty well um and um and just slug patrol dusk, dusk slug patrol it's grim and gross um but it works really well because they all come barreling out as the sun goes down and if I can go out there with my um with a torch and and just snip them then it just it tends to just I know it's so (laughs) disgusting and I'm so sorry I I know it's not very it's so funny because I'm like there's there's such a huge part of me that's like I, I welcome everyone into my garden I just want you to just chill out a little bit and maybe not Eat everything so it's um so you know I, I i try i try and be to have some mercy but it's it's it does it does work it does it just knocks back the pop the the kind of rampant population and my hope is that we'll get some more freezes and then hopefully next that that this next season coming it won't be quite quite so bad but it is it's an it's a tough one to do, to deal with without, without chemicals i know and i know that tends to be where people kind of drop off you've talked a lot about the importance of
1: cities and urban spaces growing their own food Mm. Now, if we were to imagine a city of the future that was well equipped for growing your own food, you were designing it,
0: tell me what it would look like. <laughs> I used to work for um an organization called Growing Communities, which is a social enterprise in Hackney. And um and one of the things that um that one of the, the programs that they pioneered is this thing called a patchwork farm. And what it did was um sort of liaise with like the, the local council and and, and uh, a few churches and different spaces that had little bits of land that just were being underutilized, and for a really tiny sort of peppercorn rent, um, growing communities took that site on and turned it into a space where they the uh, organic salad could be grown for their veg box, and um, I just think that's amazing because um, there's so many disused or underused spaces um, in the city, and and I just really love that vision of taking that and bringing that into the food system even if the only thing that was growing was you know some leaves or or, you know and we also we had fruit and we'd certain certain sites the ones on parks had had a bit more growing there but it was just a a beautiful and radical use of that space and I think that that's what it would look like I don't think it would look like you know an, an enormous farm in the middle of Covent Garden I think it would look like lots and lots of tiny radical patches all working together to kind of create an amazing network of food growing because because that's something that also is it's really tough in the city to get what you need as well. You know, we'd have um these compost deliveries that we'd I mean it was always just seemed so implausible. I'm sort of amazed that it always worked out. But you know, these big dumpy trucks would come with you know, massive ton bags of, of compost into into Hackney and drop them off at each of our sites so that we could, you know, feed feed our nourish our soil. Because we didn't have enough space to create to, to create compost. Um, or create enough compost actually, and um, and it was all because we worked, you know, kind of worked together. We had a head grower who would organise all of that, and we'd all do it on the same day. So I think it would it would look like that. It would look like a whole network of tiny little pockets of land being being claimed back for the food system and for. For, you know nourishing its citizens and everybody kind of working together to make that happen like I love the idea I mean it'd probably be a bit of a mess and a bit gross but like community composting spaces like all of our food waste if, if it goes to the council at least that's going somewhere but most of it ends up in our bins and landfill and that's just a travesty that's like all of that incredible uh, valuable nutrients going into the bin and I, So, yeah, I think there would probably be lots of community, community composting spaces that were both taking in food waste and then handing out great compost. And, and yeah, just a vast and varied network, a beautiful web of little food-growing spaces and lots of people who were, had space to nurture. Not everybody just stuck on a lot more wait list, you know.
1: <laughs> when you're outside growing your veg, how, how do you
0: feel? Oh, how do I feel... It's so not always universal. When it's um, when it's hard, it's really hard. And I've definitely had moments where I've been growing food, especially when it's been like the 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 soul thing that I so the soul means for me to make a living. It's really tough. It's been really tough. But um, it's it's the most human I've ever felt. It is the most human I ever feel. I think when I'm when I'm working to grow food, it's 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 the most one of the most connecting acts that I've ever experienced because there is. I mean, I think you know, there's to some extent you have to you have to hand yourself over to the poetry of it in order to really to really sense that to really feel that there is that you are part of a a living web when you're doing this work that um that for some might be too fanciful you know it might feel like it's too woo but um but when I'm doing it I feel like I'm a real active participant like a loving participant of the like web of thriving life you know and like I, I don't know there's there's something about it that that spurs me on there's something so powerful about that that spurs me on even when I'm you know full top to toe and waterproof and drenched and miserable my hands are numb and I'm just like at the absolute end of my tether harvesting I don't know there's just something about that idea that the thing that I was harvesting is going to feed somebody is just so beautiful to me that uh, even the even the bleakest days always end with some sense of feeling like warm of heart you know and um yeah so I think I think I'm probably one of the more romantic of food growers. And that doesn't that's not to say that I haven't had horrible times as well. It's been it's one of the it's been one of the most kind of tumultuous journeys, but and there's been times where I just thought I'm really on the wrong track here. I, I this is a huge mistake, or my body just felt like it couldn't keep up. You know, there's been times where I've working and it just felt too wounding and too painful. And yet, every spring (laughs) I come, I come back because it gives me, it gives me far, far more than it has ever taken, and um, and that's not true of other endeavors that I've participated in. Food growing, food growing is like something that is nourishing beyond the actual eating of the food. It's brilliant from the very first moment of sowing a seed, and I don't think I'll ever get over the miraculousness of every stage of it.
1: I love it. You would. <laughs> I, I completely understand that. And I think the only way I sort of understood it is I've always enjoyed hosting and making food for people. Mm. And then I think when you start growing the food that you're then making for people, it's just the next level up, exactly. isn't it? That warm feeling that you get when someone's face, you can see it, that they're enjoying something and you know you're giving them nutrients and pleasure Tatoo. it's it's wonderful isn't it and it yes. can only be explained almost that the way you feel when you cook for someone you care about
0: exactly exactly it's such a I mean food is a love language it certainly was for me growing up you know that's how you you you, you mark special occasions you how you how you show love for each other how you you commiserated and you know comforted somebody as well it was such a it still is it's such an expression of love and yeah growing food is such an incredible extension of that i just it's it is my favorite part is, is giving it to other people and cooking it for other people it is it is such a a wonderful kind of uh apex of the entire journey isn't it it's like such a great especially if something really took you a long time to get there you know this is the first year that i've grown <laughs> winter squash for myself and um, and I and I was quite convinced they got cucumber mosaic. So I was like, whip them out of the ground early. But I managed to get three really beautiful fruit. And then I cooked them for, for my family. And I was just like, it was so great. It took so long to get here. And it was just the most exciting thing. And like, yeah, there's really, there's kind of no, yeah, there's no pinnacle quite like that, I think.
1: And tomatoes. I love tomatoes. I've read that you love tomatoes. What's for you the difference between shop-bought tomatoes and the ones
0: you've grown yourself? Everything. <laughs> the when you grow tomatoes yourself, they actually taste like sunshine. I really believe that. and I know that's not always the case. And I've definitely heard people hating on tomatoes and saying that t- tomato evangelists like you and I are overblowing their their virtues but I don't think that's true I, I truly almost universally I'm disappointed by supermarket tomatoes it's somehow they've managed to be both watery and grey and mealy and also lack taste which I just think is quite a remarkable achievement for something being marketed as a food thing <laughs> and then you have even if you only grow one tomato plant I swear the difference is is astronomical because it just especially if you've got enough sunshine and it's ripened in the sun it has captured that like incredible richness and sweetness that just doesn't really exist in the ones that are kind of grown hydroponically in greenhouses and you know I understand that that is again it's a privilege to be able to have access to to something that tastes so remarkable but uh it's a hill I'm willing to die on (laughs) <laughs> homegrown tomatoes are vastly superior to supermarket ones
1: what are your other must-have crops then if you if you've got a especially a small bit of ground and you're yeah. going to grow some veg tomato is going to be on it i think that's a, yes <laughs> that's definitely. a given what we, what other crops do you think are really important for taste and for nutrition that are better
0: grown at home i i am oh better grown at home that's an interesting one because i'm a brassica evangelist too and I find it really hard to divide my brassica bed up because I want to grow so many. And some so your of them, cabbages I and am, your cabbages, your um, Brussels sprouts. I'm more less less the big big stuff. More I'm more like Cavalo Nero rocket. Rush, red Russian kale so they the, the kind of cut and come agains are always the way to go I think when it comes to to maximizing your small space so I love I love like growing cavalo this year was was great they didn't it never gets quite as big as it has been on like farms and that I see in shops I don't know mine mine is always sl- slightly stunted but but the fact is I I planted those months and months ago and they're still giving me It's obviously slower now but you know they, they look like palm trees because <laughs> they've gotten so <laughs> tall, but they're still pumping out leaves, and that's amazing. And so I think I, I make space for brassicas. I always say I think if I, I I wouldn't make space necessarily for those the bigger plants like cabbages or or Brussels sprouts if you've got a really small space because I think the payoff is a little bit. So um, you, your leafy small. greens, yeah, leafy greens, things that you can you can cut and then or you can pick from, and they'll keep keep growing from their kind of heart center. I think is great. Rocket's amazing, though. I mean, the fast-growing brassicas are brilliant. I've got lots... Actually, that's what is growing out there, is there's lots of mustards out there, and they're incredible. Not to everyone's taste, obviously, because they're a bit of a punch in the face, aren't they? But, um, But I really love them. I think that I love them because they are. They're so... Unexpected, and I don't think I that was definitely something that I didn't try until maybe got any a few years ago. And I just had no idea that a plant could be so powerful. So, how do you um,
1: eat yours then? How do you serve them? Well, if they them?
0: if I grow if I pick them small, then as a salad, I would have them as a salad leaf. But if um if I let them get too big, then you can you definitely can cut cook some of them. I think like green and snow cooks quite well. Um, purple wave, those kind of slightly like more sturdy leaves I think like a a mizuna or something like that that's a little more delicate that's to be eaten raw I think so I tend to tend to pick them as, as salad leaves Tend to.
1: I think there's probably more variety than people realise when mm. it comes to those leafy greens and mustards as well. Absolutely. I don't think people realise, and they don't need as much sun, do they? No. I think you can get away a bit more forgiving.
0: So forgiving. I'm amazed at how much growth there's already been this year. They went. I think mine went in a little bit late, but they actually look pretty great out there. And obviously, they are peppered with plenty of slug holes. <laughs> but but, um, but they look they look pretty great, and I think the slugs aren't that interested. The punchier they get, so. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it seems it seems like the bigger they get, the less holes they seem to have. I mean, that's just obviously a theory, but I would guess that you know if the slugs are kind of going for the the slightly slightly more kind of tempered flavors. I'd imagine that a really punchy uh, kind of fr- frilly green, frilly mustard green, is probably not that interesting to them. But not I'm going to say that, that. I'm going to go out there now, and they'll all be they yeah. <laughs> 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 be down to nubs, <laughs> just to
1: serve you right. Yeah. And you've said that you like, you'd like to see grown veg to become part of mental health care as an alternative therapy. Mm. How do you think growing plants helps us?
0: Oh, interesting. I wouldn't say as an alternative to therapy. I would say that um, I think horticultural therapy has a really important role to play alongside conventional therapy. I definitely certainly wouldn't say to anybody, uh, you know, jacking your therapist and going, get an allotment. I don't think that solves anything. But I do think that there's something... Um, to be said for what um, a kind of deficit or a disconnection from nature can do to us. And I say this as somebody who like spent most of my life in cities and and know that I have seen a very sort of tangible improvement in my mental health. The closer, the more, the more proximity I have to nature, the more time I spend outside, the more I feel part of the natural world as you know, as a living being, I don't feel quite so detached from it. And and I've been thinking about this a lot lately because, well, I've been thinking about it a lot because I was, I was doing some rising about it recently, but, um, I, um you know, there's such a growing amount of research and studies and conversations happening around how important a, a access to nature is for our mental health. And that arguably are a kind of societal challenge of of increasing levels of mental health issues is is something that's exacerbated by our disconnection from nature and 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 I'm, i i personally that's something that's very true for me i can you know i can imagine where where some people might not that might not resonate with them but for me it was very true not having proximity or attunement to nature is something that um that's something that that, that affected my mental health un- unknowingly and i and i only say that because to then align myself with the natural world and, fi- and and seek proximity to it has been somewhat of a remedy you know and and the part and past you know alongside more traditional um you know talking therapies and, and 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 a meditation practice and a spiritual practice as well it's all sort of come together at the same time but i do i do really believe that that uh access to nature is is something that's essential for our thriving I, re- I really do I really believe that um that it's something that we can't as human beings really do without and and we're surrounded by things that that pull us away from it and tell us that that you know that that what is valuable what is worthwhile what is aspirational lives elsewhere but um but I have I have found personally that it is not something that I I I think I can do without anymore. I don't I don't think I could thrive if I was pulled away from it.
1: And why is it vegetables that sort of grab your heart more than flowers? <laughs> is there a reason?
0: I just love food. I just love food so much. <laughs> I loved food before I discovered food growing, and so I yeah. think it was always going to be that way for me. I and it's not to say that I don't love, you know all of what nature produces i do i I really appreciate beautiful you know beautiful gardens and i've got friends who are are wonderful gardeners and what they create is just so stunning and i have so much appreciation for it but there's there's something about that journey that is incomplete unless it ends up in my mouth or has the possibility to end up
1: ultimately what is it about growing veg that makes it worth the effort to grow at home rather than buy it I think the reason to
0: to make the effort to grow vegetables as opposed to buying it, or alongside buying it, should I say, is just what it opens your palate to, what it opens your 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 mind and your heart to. Also, you know, it's possible to grow things that you have never seen available to buy. I mean, that's certainly the case with me. I've never seen mustards you know, on a supermarket shelf. And if it weren't for learning how to grow food, I'd never been exposed to that incredible taste. And so I think it's really important that we we know... and and experience and and if we are so interested participate in the process of growing Mm. food that we might not otherwise come across and that has been an incredible revelation to me and like the the tastes and the textures and the colors and the the sweetness and I mean the the sheer volume of berries that you can grow but you can't buy is incredible to me so I think it's it's about broadening horizons I think growing your own food means that you're Uh, opening yourself up to a a whole world of of new kind of sensory experiences that you might not otherwise have had access to
1: thanks for listening to the bbc gardeners world magazine podcast and you can find out more about the themes we've covered today at gardenersworld.com forward slash podcast if you've enjoyed this episode please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app and don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Acast to never miss an episode. See you next time.